Welcome to Scrolling to Death. Today's discussion will focus on dangerous online challenges. I am joined by Joanne Bogard from Indiana. Joanne, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm happy that you reached out. We got connected through other parents that I have interviewed. You heard some of those stories. These other parents have lost children due to a social media harm. And I'm continually shocked at how many families have been affected by this. And Joanne, you are another parent survivor who lost your son Mason through an online challenge. I just feel so strongly how important it is to share these stories so that other parents know what to look out for, but also to honor the lives of children that we've lost like Mason. So can you tell us today about Mason, about his story? We have three children, two are adults. Mason is forever 15 now. And he was our adventurous, outdoorsy, fishing, hiking, camping, woodworking kind of kid. Just anything outdoors. He loved it. He went to a good school. He had good friends. He was generous. He had a healthy lifestyle that he was living, getting ready to start driver's ed. He had just started his first job at a landscape business. So, you know, life was good. It was good. And on May 1st, 2019, it was a normal day for us with work and school and uh, dinner. And he went up to take his shower and he tried the choking challenge, which is a viral social media challenge that goes around where children try to get themselves to pass out. And then, of course, they wake up and they post their video and they get the likes and the laughs and all of that, that they crave so much. This generation just craves that as a way of feeling accepted by their peers. So when Mason tried it, we found him. He was not breathing and didn't have a heartbeat. My husband did CPR and got a pulse back, but Mason never woke up. So he was on life support for a week and ultimately um, he died from this. And um, we were blessed to be able to donate his organs and save other people. And when we did that, there was um, a video that was recorded of his honor walk um, by the donor network. And that went viral um, really quickly. And so I had people from around the world, places I'd never heard of, uh, reaching out, first offering condolences, and then saying, how can we help? What can we do? They wanted that call to action. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I didn't know what to do yet. I had just learned about this. Um, and so we decided to stand up and make a difference. Um, so through different avenues. I'm so sorry that you lost Mason in this way. Thank you. What was his social media activity like? Was he Did he have a pretty good relationship with his social media platforms? Um, it sounds like he was super well-rounded. Yeah. Mason was not big on social media. He would rather be outside, but you could always find him at his workbench with YouTube videos on watching how-to videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to figure out how to make a better fishing lure and woodworking and all those things he loved. But he didn't have an active social media. He wasn't really big on that. So Mm. he'd rather be outside. So, and I was that parent that... (laughs) crazy parent who had 
all of, you know, and this was 2019. So I had all the safety features turned on that were given to us at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I had watchdog apps in place. Uh, We checked his phone regularly. We talked about those hard things at the dinner table about online safety. And so I thought I had it covered. I thought we were good. And yet this harmful content was still fed to him. He still saw it. He still felt safe enough after watching these videos to try it. And it took his life. And that's what a lot of parents assume their children are just looking at videos of how to help them, you know, improve Mm -hmm. their fishing, um, their knots or their, their activities. And it can be helpful for things like that. But then how does such a dangerous piece of content fall into that algorithm. Have you done any research around this since then? Like why are these platforms serving content that the kid isn't even looking for? Right. To back up a little bit. So two weeks before Mason's accident, he came to me with his phone and he said, Hey mom, look at this um, funny video, this funny challenge that popped up on my phone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had heard of the ice bucket challenge and some other things when we watched it. And I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't a harmful one, Mm -hmm. but that opened that door. And we had that conversation about Mason. Some of these can be dangerous. You have to be careful. And I remember thinking in my head, how did that get through with all of those watch things on, but I thought, well, maybe it, you know, it really wasn't that harmful, maybe like the cinnamon challenge or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but we had that conversation and what I have found is it's the social media companies who get to decide what's safe and what's unsafe, what your child should watch. You know, they might hamper something from you or I that maybe is political in their mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, For us, we're thinking, why did I get shut off for that? Mm -hmm. And yet feed this harmful content to our kids. And, you know, as we already know now, it's all about how long they can keep them engaged. And the more crazy the content is, the longer these kids are going to watch it. These companies are not transparent and they're not audited and they don't apply those filters that we need them to apply those safety features. Right. And so they're feeding our kids things that we don't want them to feed them. Mm -hmm. The kids don't even want to see it. Right. And when you say the company decides, it's not even people, it's the technology Mm -hmm. that decides. So whether that's AI or whatever kind of technology they've created to choose what is going to get the most engagement, that technology doesn't have a morality filter or something to judge whether it's dangerous. There, There's AI recommending to people smoke cigarettes to lose weight, which it's just there's no filter of right. the human touch to it. I do want to make a point too that parents often feel that their child won't be harmed because mm-hmm. they've done all the things that you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned doing to re- prepare their children. Mm-hmm. From every story I hear, it's normal children. It's any child. It's not children who are, you know, addicted to social media and just watching millions of videos and, and oh, of course they're going to happen upon something dangerous, right? It's your, it's your average kid. It's your normal kids. Um, obviously, it's going to happen to children who are online longer as well. But And it's happening overnight. It's happening within hours. You put your child to bed as this 
healthy 15 year old or you send them upstairs to take a shower as a healthy 15 year old, a well balanced lifestyle. And yet they don't wake up the next day, you Mm -hmm. know, for whichever harm it is, whether it's sextortion, self-harm, cyberbullying and suicide. It just the list goes on and on. Mm hmm. So the choking challenge, obviously this is something that should never appear on the internet and there are many challenges that are dangerous. And you found after this happened that there are lots of videos showing kids doing the choking challenge on the internet. And so what did you do from there? After Mason passed and I got all those messages, the first thing I started doing was searching for them. And it was just unbelievable the number of kids doing this choking challenge recording it posting it and so I just started reporting them and reporting them and reporting them so every week every week for almost five years I go online across all the platforms I search for the choking challenge I find them quickly and easily many of them I report them using the system that they have in place to report and they are rarely taken down, rarely. There have been 95 deaths from the choking challenge just since Mason died almost five years ago. Oh, my God. Have you spoken to anyone at these platforms? Mm-hmm. There's a group of parents. We advocate together. Um, we have met with CEOs at the top companies. And, you know, they're always in tears when they hear our stories and they say they're sorry and they say they need to do better. And they come up with either a Band-Aid fix, which is typically temporary or just for the community to make them think that they're doing something. Mm -hmm. But we know that through the whistleblowers and research that they're not doing everything that they can. They know that this harmful content is there. They are very capable of fixing the problems. They choose not to, all for a profit. And so they are responsible for n- at least these nearly 100 children's deaths from the choking challenge. They were ver- They've been made aware. In my mind, yes. There's no doubt about it. And you noticed right away, I assume, that the videos, like you said, were not getting removed, the majority of them, after they were reported. Mm -hmm. And so I read that you um, filed a class action lawsuit against YouTube and TikTok for their lack of compliance Mm -hmm. in this area. Can you tell me about that? Sure. So um, we filed in the state of Indiana a class action lawsuit um, against YouTube and TikTok specifically for not complying with their terms of service. So when they say challenges are not allowed on our platform, cyberbullying is not allowed on our platform, and we report it and they still don't take it down, that's unacceptable. So that's what our lawsuit is about. You filed against YouTube and TikTok. Are those the main platforms where these dangerous challenges are taking place or are they on other platforms as well? Those are the main ones that I find them on when I search, but they are definitely on all the platforms. They are on every platform, the the small ones, the big ones, all of them. Okay. I wanted to look up the popular online challenges and I just got overwhelmed and there's words I don't understand and there's always Mm -hmm. something new. Which is part of the problem, right? It's ever-changing. You can't keep up with it as a parent. No. 
So I guess the goal is for parents to introduce the danger around these challenges early. What specifically would you recommend a parent tells their child about online challenges once they know their child is going to be accessing the internet? A lot of parents still aren't aware of a lot of the harms that are out there. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they think my child knows better or this won't happen to my family because that's our normal thing, right? We don't want to go there. We don't want to think about those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does happen and it will happen eventually. Your child will be exposed to you know, something, extortion, bullying, challenges, um, hate crimes, something, they are going to be exposed to it if they're online. You don't want to hover over them and just say, you can't do this, don't do that, you can't do this, because that just raises their curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. So those talks at the dinner table or in the car on the way home from school or wherever that, that one-on-one time is for your family, I think the biggest thing is just saying, hey, tell me what you learned today. Hey, how did you feel when you were on? Instagram today. How did you, how'd that make you feel? Just trying to get them in tune with their emotions based on what they're doing. So how did you feel when you were playing outside? How did you feel when you were on that gaming system? Just opening up that door for conversation is the starter. And then start saying, hey, I heard about a challenge today called the choking challenge, but have you heard of that? Can you tell me about it? You know? Mm -hmm. And I can promise you 99% of the time they are going to know about it and they're going to start, oh yeah, it's a challenge such and such. I would never do that, but, and maybe they wouldn't, but there are so many other things on there that they would do. I was that mom too. My child would never do that. You know, he's smart. He wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. He knows better. He's smart, but they're impulsive and with those young brains, they just don't think ahead. You know, we know that, right? Yeah. And I, ha- I have a couple interviews with um, brain experts or neuroscientists, and we do talk about that prefrontal cortex and why mm-hmm. these kids, these, these ages are so impulsive and don't understand what could happen in the moment. And then also in some cases, not Mason's case, but some cases feel that suicide is the only option for the situation that I'm in. And that happens so often now. Our suicide rates are unbelievably high and it's scary right yeah it's so scary to think your child could be in that position where they think there's no other option even though you're there as mom somehow they don't see an out Mm -hmm. in situations that they get might get themselves into well nine and ten kids don't tell their parents when they're being bullied Mm -hmm. i would bet it's just as high around sextortion that's happening more and more and i mean kids as young as 10 and 11 years old are dying by suicide. Right. This can all be very scary for parents. I'm intimately aware of these stories and my children are eight and under. I have three as well. And my gut right now tells me that they don't need social media ever. Mm -hmm. I need to teach them that it's a thing that exists in the world, but they will know the stories. And hopefully they'll be on board that we don't want to feel depressed. We don't want to spend all of our time online. You get to the point too where I can tell my child not to be on social media. I cannot give them a cell phone. I cannot give them these things that other kids have. But how do you deal with that when they go for a sleepover? You know, do you ask the other parents, you know, what do they have? And then the the problem 
is too, when a child comes to your house to spend the night, do you check their backpack? No, we don't check their backpack, you know, to see if they have a phone or a device. Right. There's so much to it that these are all pieces. There's not one thing we can do that will fix this problem. It, it's education, it's litigation, it's legislation, it's awareness, it's doing things like you're doing, you know, spreading awareness, making sure parents understand these things are out there. And then if they decide that social media is right for their family, at least they have some knowledge behind it to know what to look for, to know the questions to ask and how to ask them. Um, how to have those hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And having education in school on internet safety mm -hmm. is, I, I cannot stress enough how important I think that is. It is just, it's vital. You know, we teach them about drugs and alcohol. We need to teach them about internet safety. Mm -hmm. And there's, yeah, there's a huge lacking around internet safety in schools. My kids are my older ones are in first and second grade, and since kindergarten, they've had an iPad in their class that has Safari Internet, that has YouTube, adult YouTube on it, um, mm -hmm. and they are not taught safety around their activity on those things. They're just told you go to these educational apps, and that's it, and we're going to you know give you time frames. And I think, again, that's why it has to go back to the social media companies. They have to be accountable for this because as parents, as educators, we cannot control that situation all the time. You know, when my child is, you know, I can put my computer in the kitchen. I cannot give them a device. I can put the watchdog apps on, but there are so many times when they could be exposed to that. But if this goes back to the source, back to the social media companies, mm -hmm. and they put those filters on it and they apply them and they make sure that the safety features are turned on for young users, that, that makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. So how do we start holding them accountable? What needs to happen? <laughs> well, I advocate for some state bills and some federal bills. And the big one right now is the Kids Online Safety Act. Mm -hmm. That's in the Senate right now. There's actually um, another hearing next week with all the CEOs on specifically sexual exploitation yep. on their platforms. Are you going to the big tech CEO hearing? I am. Yeah. I'll actually be at the hearing holding Mason's pictures. So, yep. you know, they're going to have to see his face and, and know there will be several parents there um, doing the same. And then we will all be going to the rally together after. Oh, so I wish I could yeah. be there. This is the, what we need. We need these CEOs on camera answering these hard questions. What we want from them, you know, a lot of people ask that, what do you want them to do? I want them to be honest with their answers. Like if I could ask them to do one thing, it would be answer honestly. Mm -hmm. Don't skirt around the question. Don't try and save face. Don't try to answer the question honestly. Mm -hmm. Can you fix this? Will you fix this? Mm -hmm. Do you recognize that it's a problem? Mm -hmm. Move forward so that we can actually fix the problem. 95 more kids didn't have to die. And that's that's one harm, one challenge, one thing. And if mm -hmm. you think about, you know, like cyberbullying and suicide, um, those rates are so much higher than that even. It's extortion, sexual exploitation, all of it. Evan Spiegel, this is your chance, all of them. This yeah. is your chance to be honest <laughs> 
Yeah. And take some accountability, um, not give the PR runaround. And I really hope as well that they can, they can do that. Finally. The Kids Online Safety Act has so many features that would protect kids. I I truly believe if that bill had been passed before Mason, that he would be here today. I could ask a hundred parents that same question who have lost their child and they would no doubt tell you, yes, their child would still be here today if these companies were regulated. And there's no other American industry in the United States that goes unchecked, right? Mm-hmm. The tech industry is the only one that doesn't have to abide by any rules and they, they have free reign to do whatever they want. So it's just time for them to be transparent. It's time for them to have some guardrails up and put some safety features in place. Um, one of the things I like about the Kids Online Safety Act is the algorithms. As a parent, as a young user, you can opt out of those algorithms going to your feed. Mm. So that's a huge thing. Um, yeah. A piece of the bill says that it would put education in schools. There are just so many things that, you know, it turns on the safety features automatically for young users because. How hard is it as a parent if you have three kiddos who are different age ranges and if you want to let them on TikTok or you want to let them on YouTube and you set those filters, they're all different. They're all complicated. Mm -hmm. It's just impossible to keep up. Yeah. It really is. Every platform, even our Roku TV streaming is like every little thing. Somehow my kids are renting movies and I'm like, I thought I had a password protect on it. Like I don't – it's so confusing. Yeah. yeah. And every parent that I talk to, every parent survivor that's lost a child or had a child harmed supports COSA. I did an interview with Alex Fraser at issue one. That conversation was really great. And we talked about some of the pushback. So whenever there's legislation proposed that regulates technology, people throw out First Amendment, free speech issues. And so he addresses those that pushback. That's a great interview for people that are hearing some negative feedback on COSA. But for me, everything I've heard about it will help protect our children and save lives. And that's the thing. The Kids Online Safety Act is not about regulating the content. Mm -hmm. It is about, one, giving parents tools to protect their kids online, but also it's about the algorithm. It's about how they're designing the product. So when they create these platforms, they design it to feed content unsolicited mm-hmm. to our kids to keep their their eyes on those screens longer so that they can make a profit off of that through advertisers. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not about freedom of speech. You can still say things. We do hear a lot of that pushback um, about freedom of speech, but this is truly, this bill truly addresses you are designing your products to harm children and it has to stop. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you feel about, I saw that Snap officially, Snap Inc. officially supported COSA. Snap has had a lot of negative press lately. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they are being sued by over 60 parents, soon to be over 90 parents for social media harms. Specifically, this, uh, this lawsuit is about fentanyl and children who have purchased uphill through Snapchat and um, died from a fentanyl overdose. So I was surprised, but um, maybe not so surprised to see their support of COSA. So what is your thoughts around that? You know, I don't know what they're thinking, so I hate to to say too much. But in my opinion, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. every time I've talked to these social media companies, they will say one thing so that the public 
thinks they're working on it. You know, we've seen a lot of commercials lately, um, Instagram, um, giving parents tools, things like that. But when you really look at what the tool is, it doesn't get to the source. It doesn't really get applied. It doesn't really fix the problem. So Mm -hmm. it puts that onus back on the parent again of, here, we'll help you watch your kids online. Well, that's not all of it. We have to have more than that. We have to have them in the background saying, we're not going to send it to your kid. We're not going to send the choking challenge to Mason. We're not going to do these things. So when they say that they are in support of COSA, are they really not going to send their lobbyist in to vote against it, you know, to lobby to vote against it? Mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah. You know, the Kids Online Safety Act has... 49 co-sponsors right now, and it's bipartisan. It's split right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans, so it's, it's, you know, it's not a red and blue issue. It's not, everyone's on board. Everyone knows we need a fix. I think we just can't be afraid of change because sometimes some people think, well, it's technology, it evolves, and you just got to deal with it, and you're just going to have to figure out a way. It's It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. I mean, we can certainly mandate that they make some changes that we know they're perfectly capable of making and they being the social media companies. Mm -hmm. Well, and we can't allow them to be protected under a law from the 90s anymore. Like we have to evolve. They're evolving. We need to evolve in regulating them. Absolutely. And we are so far behind in that, you know, 25 years, it, it's just too long. It, we, we need legislation. And like I said, the Kids Online Safety Act is, in my opinion, the, the best bill out there that covers so much. Are there in-person events that parents could potentially attend? Um, I know you you co-founded and co-lead the Online Harms Prevention Work Group at Fair Play. You can tell me about that, but I'm always interested in how can I meet people in person and try to connect? I think any town that you're in, there's someone who will stand up with you, you know, mm-hmm. if, about some of these things. So whether it's something specific or whether it's broadly online harms mm-hmm. or, you know, whether it's education in schools on internet safety or any of those things. Yeah. And I mean, I need to do this as well, but getting together with parents locally just to talk friends, you know, parents Mm -hmm. of your children's friends, just to talk about what are you guys doing around screens? So there's friend groups and then there's also getting in front of the PTA and getting in front of your school district and saying, you know, what are our um, safety measures around these devices Mm -hmm. and that our children are spending most of their day at school and accessing lots of devices now. And we need to be involved in that. We need a little bit more of an involvement in, in the decisions around that. And I think we're getting there. You have more and more parents standing up, coming together at PTAs and at schools and in your neighborhoods saying, you know, I'm, I'm worried about my kid on social media. Well, mine's not on it. Really? Okay. Then mine's not going to be on it either. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when you have those common groups of parents, yeah. it's easier to say no because that screen time fight is in every home. Mm-hmm. You can say it's not, but when they get to a certain age, it's going to be there. My friends all have it. I need it. I want it. It's not fair. So those fights are are real. Yeah. And I think if we if if you have those like community like minded communities that mm-hmm. band together and say we're not going to give our kids phones until or smartphones until such and such age or we're 
going to just use dumb phones or no phones or no social media and just figure out what works for your family and your community. I think that's where changes happen. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the entire class that all doesn't have phones. If yeah. there's at least a, a handful that you can band mm-hmm. together with, that will really help to normalize it with, within your child and help them be okay with that decision. I know this is a tricky question, but what would you say the sweet spot is for giving your child a smartphone? What age generally, and every family and child is different, but what age would you consider a smartphone You know, if you had to do it all over again? You know, if I had to do it all over again, I'd get rid of my smartphone. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, so maybe never. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, even as adults, we we get so addicted. You know, how often do I really need to check my email? And how often do I check my email only because it's convenient right there in front oh, of yeah. me? Yep. There are so many options for what they call dumb phones out there now mm-hmm. that – Uh, you know, a smartphone, do do they need it? Because the dumb phones, they have the GPS, they have texting, they have talking, you know, it looks just like a smartphone. It's not the old QWERTY keyboard, you know, like, yeah. And so, I mean, I think there are so many options out there that that dumb phone that won't allow social media to be downloaded. um, It won't allow them to connect with predators or strangers that you don't approve of. I just don't think there is a good time for a smartphone, (laughs) but there are a lot of organizations who say, wait until eighth. Now I see more and more organizations saying 16, just don't even let them have it until 16. They don't need it. Mm -hmm. Just don't even let them have it. You will have those parents who say, well, I still want to, while I'm in control of what their limits are, while they're still home, Mm -hmm. I want to be sure I can watch over them and teach them properly how to use it. So by doing that, you know, age 16, in my mind, seems like a reasonable age Mm -hmm. to say, okay, you're, you're driving now. So you have a lot more freedom. So let's do this little bites at a time. Let's start with this type of cell phone and um, start moving up with the smartphone on what they can download and what they can view. Mm -hmm. And watch them and have those conversations every day, every day. Yeah. You know, it can't be, oh, we already talked about sexual exploitation or meeting strangers online. Um, We already talked about that. Well, it has to be a constant. They're kids. That's how their brains work. Mm -hmm. It's reminders, reminders, reminders. Yeah. And because I have heard the algorithm can go from light and fluffy to just within the next five minutes, all of a sudden they're getting served dangerous stuff. Very true. And those dumb phone companies. um, So the big ones are Pinwheel, there's Bark, and there's Trumi. I have done little review videos on those phones. And I think Google has one now too. Oh, really? I'm not sure. Okay. They do. Okay, let me look into that. that. Verify that. I'm not sure, but I think they do. I will. I wish they had a better word for it or descriptor than dumb phone. I know. Dumb phone. <laughs> Who, what kid wants to round, walk around saying, I have a dumb phone? <laughs> I'm a dummy. I have a dumb phone. Like, yeah. I think just calling it, you know, I have a cell phone. I have a basic phone, you know. Right. Right. Versus smartphone. Yeah. And thank you for sharing. That's exactly what I'm hearing from other Mm -hmm. sources as well. Okay. And so before we close out, I would love if you could share, if you're open to it, a favorite memory of Mason. Oh my gosh. Memories of Mason. There are so many. He was our, like I said, adventurous kid. Um, Probably one of my favorite memories. We did a lot of camping and hiking and 
before he passed, that year before he passed, we went we went on a lot of adventures, a lot of trips, cruises, Disney, all of it, the Mayan ruins. We went to the Grand Canyon and he was sitting there on this 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 landing that was just it was kind of scary actually, but mm-hmm. he was sitting there and he was just so at peace. And he just it was his happy place. And I just saw him sitting there and I thought, what is he thinking about? Like, is he thinking about nothing? Is he thinking about, you know, what is he thinking about? So after his moment, you know, of course I didn't interrupt him. And then after a while when we left, um, he said, mom, I'm going to live here someday. He was imagining his life. Yeah. And so I do, I do think often that he visits there Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his very special place. And it's to find that in your lifetime, even a short lifetime. I don't think I've found that place yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But yeah, that, that makes me smile when I think of him sitting there so at ease with who he was, peaceful, serene. Thank you for sharing that, Joanne. That is so, so sweet. And, and it's rare to hear a child just sitting anymore or a teenager yeah and he was 14 at the time so Mm, wow yeah Yeah. in their own thought the other day actually reminded me I was in the car with my husband and three kids in the back and there was 45 minutes went by and the kids were all awake just looking and thinking and I just said to my husband what are they all thinking about (laughs) you do wonder sometimes what are they thinking are they plotting right (laughs) but I felt so proud of myself that my kids could sit you know, in their own thoughts for that long. And that is something that I think a lot of our younger generation has gotten away from, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a constant engagement with something. Mm -hmm. And I think teaching them by doing, teaching them to just sit and listen to their own self, Mm -hmm. their own mind, their own thoughts Mm -hmm. is, is such a a valuable skill. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they may call it boredom, but boredom comes up a lot on this podcast, and it's extremely important to their brain development. You have to to be be bored. bored. You have to be bored. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We grow from that, right? Yeah. Where can listeners find your work? Probably the best place would be Mason's Message Facebook page. But the other thing is um, the Screen Time Action Network. I co-chair a work group. There. So if the, um, if parents want to go to, or anyone, you don't have to be a parent. We have some college students. We have educators, psychologists, pediatricians, parents, um, some grieving, some not. But if you go to the Screen Time Action Network, there is a work group called the Online Harms Prevention Work Group. And we collaborate together as a group. There are about 60 members in our group. And we meet monthly on Zoom and we collaborate on how to protect kids. It might be, you know, a few of them might be working on parent tip sheets. Another one might be working on legislation in their state. Mm -hmm. Another one might be working on some kind of educational piece. There are so many things that this group of wonderful, wonderful 
people are working on. It's amazing. It's a really wonderful work group that is very active and they're making changes. And it doesn't take hundreds of people or thousands of people. No, it doesn't. It takes people who care, though. It takes yeah. people who are passionate, you know. And if you have a passion for something, whether it's a cha- whether it's a podcast that spreads awareness or, you know, legislation or whatever it is, if you're passionate about it and you can help someone else, that feels so good to do that, right? It makes your heart feel good to be able to help someone else. It does feel good. It feels like the Mm -hmm. only thing, you know, once I transitioned away from my other career to this, I was like, oh, I wish I was doing this years ago. I just kind of floated through, like not really feeling passionate about anything until I found the thing that I will never not be able to do. Joanne, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your story. I'm just one little piece and I'm so grateful to be able to share your story and other parent survivors' stories so that other parents, listeners here can take steps to be a little bit safer in their decisions around technology. And we appreciate you doing these podcasts because that's what gets it out there. That's what lets parents know this is what I need to be doing this is what I could be doing or should be doing Mm -hmm. um, for my family yeah we appreciate that thank you Joanne